Welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories, a local podcast for local artists. Hello everyone, welcome back to another week of a double bill at Afternoon Delight with myself, Jordy Delight. Angel delighting an Aldi budget and the real housewife of Leith. I am here to talk to you about football. Said no drag queen ever. I am here to present my first guest of the double bill this week. Let me tell you, this artist and performer is honestly like so talented and such a character and personality. I came across this um, performer on Twitter Round about November, I don't know how or why, but someone had liked and retweeted their, um, <laughs> I'm laughing even thinking about it now, their performance as they used to do as a child. And I was in quite a fucking shitty place, in all honesty, back then. You know, um, it was my friend that passed away his birthday. I was feeling really fucking down and out and just really wanted this year, well, last year, because it still feels like now is a bloody reprise of 2020. And I very much wanted the crown to swallow me up, as Miranda Hart once said. And I felt really down and out. And when we're all down and out, what do we tend to do? Go on bloody Twitter and tweet about it. And I came across this fantastic musical performer as a child doing the Disney parade with his family. Oh, honest. And it was the most wholesome and lovely thing to see particularly when you're going through a bit of a shitty time, I'll be honest, those kind of moments that are so wholesome and lovely, that is to me kind of what Disney actually was always about, in all honesty. Um, they're kind of the moments that really follow you. And, you know, I very much felt like that had made a mark and I hadn't even met him. And then I ended up, when I'd had a couple of wines with my friend, who's my extended household, I'd ended up jumping on his Instagram live and he was talking. I thought to myself, he's a Leo, isn't he? Like, I get that very much vibe off of him. And I commented on his live being like, you're a Leo, Rob, aren't you? Tell everyone the truth. And he was like, yes, I am, actually. <laughs> and then he followed me back on Instagram and then he followed me on Twitter. And it's just been such a lovely experience to kind of go back to England. You know, we had Reeling really Goody from England, Martin O'Brien. Martin O'Brien's office Leo as well. So this is kind of my second Leo, favourite Leo on the podcast. I'm not going to say which is which, you know, who's my favourite and who was my second favourite. Spit roast anyone? However, I do feel very much like getting to know Rob outside of sort of Twitter and Instagram was really important because we as artists often kind of fabricate on social media who we are a lot of the time. And then sometimes we show kind of innocent, raw moments of ourselves and then people get a bit surprised and go, oh, they're actually really shy and really introverted. And it was so lovely just to get to chat to him and learn about all these things that you're going to hear next because, you know what, I don't want to spoil his amazing story. I want him to genuinely share it with all of you. I couldn't quite believe that I basically had the Macaulay Culkin of the West End like in my podcast. I mean, Macaulay Culkin has, I guess, a bit of a... A weird example to use, I just couldn't think of any musical theatre performers that are famous as children. Um, and I actually love musicals. I'm not a huge musical theatre fan that I would probably like watch them every day all day, but ugh, you can't beat like, chucking on a Rodgers and Hammerstein, I guess even an Andrew Lloyd Webber soundtrack. I mean, he's not my favourite. If I had to say who mine's are, it's probably Sondheim. You know, I've mentioned that in the podcast before in season one. So... Let's get off of my favourites and let's talk about Rob Madge's favourite things. It is, in fact, the fantastic Rob Madge. That interesting weekend I had a guest. It's always good to have a guest kind of ask you why you do drag and get you to explain your art and craft after seven years of really doing it. And I'm always looking forward to the challenge and I'm glad that we've met that along the way. But now we've got someone that unfortunately couldn't do last week because me and them were both ill. We have got an absolute, like, I am girl crushing so badly, celeb, I would consider celeb, of the UK. And it's o only you, only you. 
<laughs> only me uh, of social media particularly he is outrageous he is fantastic and he is a leo like madonna and this is the second leo i've had so far on the podcast i'm gonna have to decide which one's my favorite one it is the amazing rob madge geordie thank you so much for having me i am chuffed to be here at last after um after our trials last week where we were both like i'm really just not in the mood <laughs> Yeah. The world's hard. <laughs> and you also, give yourself some credit, you had a show. You were doing a show online. I did, yeah, sort of. Yeah, it was a weird thing. I had to do this kind of film myself singing songs in my living room. And then it was broadcast on, on online. And then there were lots of technical problems when it was on, which was devastating. <laughs> so then I like needed just a week off to recover from the fact that my... 45 minute show had about five show stops and it wasn't even live so, but it's okay we've recovered why was it stopped what was the uh, tech issues you had it was the the platform that it was streamed on nothing to do with us or the producers the producers were bloody brilliant in sorting it out um but the platform that it was streamed on like crashed worldwide at the time of my um <laughs> of my show which is just so classic and people were messaging me saying only you would be dramatic enough to have this many show stops in a virtual show and at the time I didn't find it remotely funny I was like no this is so this is too me to be funny um but now it's it's hilarious so I love that you are like Madonna you are causing a stir and I'm here for it <laughs> just like uh, Leo you know <laughs> totally that's amazing oh and you know it's so funny so i'll give some people backstory right so i came across you with my friend back in i'm gonna say the middle to the end of november because november december were quite a blur for me in all honesty we love that about mental health and um, i love we love that relatable totally we saw because one of our friends had retweeted and it's your pinned tweet of you doing your home videos as a child uh, like, oh yeah Disney parade performing for your grand and we watched it my said household and I watched it and just sat there like we're just going to keep watching this because this is so wholesome and happy because <laughs> it just gets more unbelievable the more you watch it <laughs> was, it just gets worse it, it was so funny because I just sat and was like oh okay you came down doing the Obert line which was I mean still to this day I think a mantra I should have in my house is your line was Obert <laughs> Your cue was overt, yeah. It's honestly, I don't know how many times I had to tell him. So this is my dad who was helping out with me. I decided to put on a Disney parade in my hall. I was I was 12. This wasn't yesterday, although it is something I probably do now as well. And um, But dad was like <laughs> my stage manager and got all of his cues wrong. And bless him, he tried though. <laughs> it's brilliant because in the video, like, you know, you did a Little Mermaid, which that was, I was like, that is me as a child. But Little Mermaid, like, Yes, here I am, sliding on a like. Were yeah, you, absolutely. Was that a scooter you were on? Sorry. Were you on a scooter? Say it again. Were you on a scooter? Yes, I was on a scooter. I was on a scooter. It was camp. It was really camp. And uh, we had a bubble gun as well that we bought for that occasion, especially. Um, I think it broke like straight after, after one use. Um, RIP bubble gun. <laughs> what made you before we start interviewing you and getting to know you right I just want to know what genuinely made you put that on Twitter I we literally just got a VHS player um for lockdown because uh, we had loads of um not even just home movies but you know the old cassettes you get of, like Disney films and like really old like 90s noughties films like I've got a Cinderella story on video and all that stuff and I was like I just want to I want to watch these <laughs> so we got a VHS player off eBay and then I saw that those old home videos and I just couldn't believe how camp it was and I wanted to share it because I thought it was just ridiculous and funny uh, but then people were saying like how lovely it was to see an obviously queer kid being celebrated by his family, um, which I never really thought of at the time because you don't think about those things at the time. It's just all fun and bizarre. Um, but in hindsight, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I shared it so people could see that see that it can be quite fun and joyous. I had like 10,000 likes for it and everything. Like it's done well on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it did well. It did well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's my favourite one that I've ever posted it was one of the first ones I posted as well I went through a big 
period in like the start of lockdown where I would post like adaptations of Sondime songs and stuff like that. And they did okay, but they never really took off. And then that one sort of, sort of was my big break <laughs> when I was 12. <laughs> so forever trying to live up to my 2009 self. Right, we're going to cover a lot of this during the interview. So could you introduce the listeners? I mean, my listeners will know who you are, right? But just in case they don't, <laughs> you are, please. Who, who am I? Yeah, I'm, I'm Rob. I am, uh, well, was an actor in musicals and other stuff, and then coronavirus happened. Um, but I love writing. I love, like, creating funny, funny skits and comedy and all that stuff. Um, with a big heavy focus on LGBT themes and also sharing the joy of what that is rather than um, just I want to show that it can be fun and joyful and uplifting as well as like quite serious at times Um, so that's where that's where I kind of stand but yeah I was I was touring in Les Mis and then Covid so that that's who I am Wow, that's just, honestly, and touring a show during the pandemic, well, before the pandemic happened, I mean, I take it that must have been quite difficult. It was bizar- It was really bizarre. The, the weirdest time was about a week before we closed, because it was when we all knew it was quite serious. It was around the time everyone was hoarding the toilet rolls, and you couldn't buy a thermometer in Boots. You couldn't buy one on Amazon. They had all completely sold out. And so it was this weird time where we were still going to work but knowing that we probably shouldn't be and sort of you'd see the odd person in in the audience wearing a mask and you'd be like well so it's getting real ha lol ha 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 and then um Boris Johnson announced that you shouldn't go to the theatre but didn't actually close any of the theatres so it was on that day where all the um theatres had to make the executive decision themselves to just close so we turned up to work having just heard from the government that the theatres, you shouldn't go to them. And we were like, well, are we doing it or not? And they said, no, you're going home. Um, So it was weird. And since then, it's been just bizarre, not knowing where we stand. And yeah, we were just sent home and they said, we might be in touch. You might be back at the next venue. We don't know. And obviously we weren't. And it's just been a lot of that for about a year now. So strange. Ten months. It has been like unreal actually talking to people, thinking it's been ten months. Absolutely bizarre. It's crazy. I can't believe that, like, it's going to be one of my best friend's birthday in a couple of months. And it was her birthday at the start of lockdown. And it feels like, what? I can't believe we've missed. We're now on the second birthday of yours. (laughs) Uh, And we're going to be doing it on Zoom. Really strange. It's so weird. So my friend and me, um, we hosted a speed dating night at CC Blooms where I DJ. And stop it. I love that. I want to do that. We did, we did like an all genders and sexualities encompassing speed dating night at CC's. And it was the last time I DJed at CC's as well, because I was hosting that downstairs, sitting there like, you know, I'm single, but let me tell you how you're going to find a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then we came upstairs, did the DJ set, and it was literally the week after, two weeks after that, the pandemic happened. And this week she's messaged me, do you want to attend our digital speed dating night? And I went, the one we nearly did a year ago. <laughs> how crazy Head a whole year I was talking about a digital speed dating night literally two days ago with someone saying I'd quite like to see what it's like <laughs> I'll link you <laughs> yeah all these like what'd you do I don't know fascinating yeah. find it interesting it was like fun like I just got pissed <laughs> I just did that would that would be me that yeah. would... <laughs> it's like, yeah, it'd be fun I got drunk and was like, I hope none of my exes come in. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my God, the scandal. I'd love that. <laughs> Quite small, hun. Like all my exes, about 10 of them are probably that make 20% of the community. <laughs> it's not that. That's when you know. That's when you know. <laughs> so where did, you know, before you ended up going into touring shows and we'll talk later on about some of the shows you were in as a child, which I found out from your Instagram, which was interesting. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Where did you kind of grow up and study before you kind of went into musical theatre? I um, I went to primary school where I live, which is in the um, middle of nowhere in the Midlands. Like, really, I'm like definition of only gay in the village. There's no one here. Um, so I went to primary school there. 
it's like a two minute walk from my house and then um after that I I got into some shows in London which like you say we'll talk about later probably but I went to theatre school from from that which was in London so I went from kind of walking two minutes to, to school to like getting the train down to big old crazy London which was fun and weird but yeah um so so yeah I that's sort sort of where I was brought up mm-hmm. and where did you study then did you go and study like a like drama school or yeah so I did I did Sylvia Young Theatre School which was like normal school Monday Tuesday Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday you dance sing and act and put on a pair of tap shoes and a leotard which is <laughs> So strange, I think about it. We're all like 11 years old walking around in Leotard. Anyway, um, so I did that. And then I went to uni. I went to Warwick Uni um, because I just sort of wanted to do something else for a bit. But then all I ended up doing there was the drama societies and the musical theatre society anyway. So, yeah, I sort of realised that it is what I want to do. And then I went to the Royal Academy of Music for a master's in musical theatre. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So that's yeah. So that was just the one year course at, at the Royal Academy of Music. But um, yeah, and then I got into Lamers after that. What happened? So what was the first degree you did then? I know you said you did drama society and stuff, but what was the first degree you did? I'm curious. The first degree I did was my BA in English Literature. So, I mean, it's like it's that song in Avenue Q, isn't it? What do you do with a BA in English? Like, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> do musical theatre societies um so it wasn't that far removed really and I made sure that like I tailored all of my courses to like things that are quite stagey anyway like lots of Shakespeare modules and lots of oh I did a queer theory module loves that uh but yeah that's all it's all very on brand I never really went too straight too far that's brilliant. So what got you into musical theatre then? Like, I know that's such a daft question to really ask a performer, you know, what got you into it? But I've spoken to so many performers on this podcast that have a different reasons why they got into what they got into. And it'd be lovely if you could share kind of what you got you first into that. Sure. I think it's like, um, so my family aren't remotely, weren't remotely interested in theatre, but they do what families tend to do and they take your kid to a panto. And it was always like the big camp spectacular shows that always got my attention as a kid. So I think the reason I like musicals so much is because that's what, that seems to be the sort of theatre that if you're not really into theatre, but you'll go to London to see a show every now and then, you'd go and see a big camp musical. So that's why I sort of got hooked on it. Um, and seeing all of those those songs and the, the sets and the lighting. I mean, it's just spectacular. I mean, now, obviously, theatre is so much more than that to me. Um, but as a kid, that's why I got into MT specifically. But even stuff like, uh, it was like, always seemed to be like strong women belting songs that I just loved. But not even in MT, like films like Hocus Pocus, where you've got Bette Midler doing I Put a Spell on You. Like for some reason that just stuck with me and I'd recreate that every weekend, just that song. Uh, So there was always something about the big camp musical number belted by an absolute diva icon that just really, I just loved it. Oh, we have that in common. So basically like I... When I studied my undergrad, I ended up doing drama and very much serious plays, you know, Sarah Kane type hard in theatre that made yeah. question their existence. But my mum yeah. wanted me to get into like musical and stuff because that's what she really liked. And we went to Panto every year. Any show that came to the Edinburgh Playhouse, we were seeing it. It wasn't an option. Um, yes. And I think for me and her, the thing that I always loved that brought me and her together is my mum's quite shy and introverted. So she would always say, right. we're going to watch Madonna and Evita because look how strong she is. I wish I was that strong and you need to be like that. And that's I that the sort of women being in power and belting that does kind of inspire at a young age, I think. Completely. Completely. It's funny, isn't it? I think so many LGBT people really look up to those strong women roles. I mean, I'm not remotely interested in like Captain Hook or Jafar or Scar. I'm into Maleficent and the Evil Queen and Cruella de Vil and <laughs> I really don't know what, what what it says about us. But um yeah, I found that I found that in, in MT especially. Um 
Really? I'm, I'm not really into the male roles in musical theatre, to be honest. <laughs> they just don't do it for me. Yeah. So when people say, like, what's your dream role? I mean, I've got one that I know I'd want to do. But other than that, there's not many men I'd want to play. <laughs> or what's your dream role? Just the MC in Cabaret. Oh. And even, even that is like a gender-bending kind of could be played by any gender, really. Um, I love like the how enigmatic that character is and the things you could do with it. But when it comes to like men in MT, I'm not like a a, a tenor who's going to be Fiero. You know, it's just I'd rather be Mrs. Overall. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be a great one. I love Wicked. I I can see that for you. I'd be like, oh Fiero, yes. <laughs> um, I had to sing as long as you're minor in like a uni university cabaret and it's just the most awkward thing because it's just not my casting and the girl who played Alpha Burns sang it with me like we're not we're, we're like we were best friends we're best friends now but at the time we just weren't and we had to like awkwardly kneel opposite each other and like outstretch our arms and sing into each other's eyes and I had to like mask it up and <laughs> it's just not not my vibe I can't take it seriously so you had to mask up she had to mask up <laughs> She did, she did, <laughs> truly. Oh. Well, it's so funny watching your videos on Twitter and stuff because like, I've genuinely seen so many of like your home movies you did because I've still got my VHS and watch my old baby videos when I'm bored, right? Because I'm like vintage yeah. way, right? And <laughs> watching your ones where you were doing all these Disney ones, it's like, it's so funny because I said to my friend who follows you on Instagram who thinks you're hilarious, like I said to her, he is like, the want the child I wanted to be grown up because he was so extroverted and going for it, whereas I was really introverted. I was like, well, maybe we could do this and people do this and I'll direct this because I. So it's so lovely to see that in such a comparison. Do you know what I mean? Oh, bless you. Yeah, I mean, I just look at it back at it and think, wow, what a brat. <laughs> so it's nice to you look at it in that way. But I think, wow, my parents had so much patience. But the funny thing is, I I really was not that person outside of my home. Um, at all I was very shy I was very um, insecure at high school I was really insecure about who I was I did not want to be gay I I did not come out until I was well into my uni years Um, despite the fact you can see videos of me at the age of six with a wig and being Winifred Sanderson it's a bizarre parallel but yeah at home I was just a a tyrant (laughs) So do you feel like the school situation, because I was the same as you, I didn't come out, I was lucky, I came out when I was in sixth year, when I was applying at uni, and I went, right, I'm 18 now, time to flee the nest, go to CC's, like, you know, get drunk with the games. Yeah. And did you, yeah. was your school upbringing quite difficult then? Did you feel really peer pressure to take it? Well, it shouldn't have been, because I went to a bloody theatre school. <laughs> So really, I was surrounded by people who would have loved and accepted me. But I think it's just something that was in my head, having come from the middle of nowhere, where I didn't see myself anywhere else. Um, And then going somewhere where I was surrounded by people that were like me was actually quite overwhelming. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I don't really know how to process this. And I started to be like, do I want to be like this? I don't know. Maybe I should be uh, whatever normal is maybe that is what I should do now that I'm seeing that there are many many people who were like me (laughs) um yeah it was it was a weird thing I think that's where it came from um but I I feel very lucky that I had a place where I could be that kind of flamboyant person behind closed doors um yeah I feel lucky and what about that university situation? What kind of was maybe the moment that you knew, actually, I can come out now, I feel comfortable? Um, people would ask me <laughs> all the time. Um, so I just got a bit exhausted, <laughs> yeah. lying. And I thought, well, if people are asking, uh, then just tell them. Um, it's also very frustrating when everyone asks you, though. I don't think it's anyone's place to kind of put any kind of identifying feature on someone else and be like this is who you are because you have limp wrists or or whatever it's it's really it's like I don't know what what gave it away and when people say things like surely everyone knew that you were gay look at those videos I'm like 
cool, but I'd be just as happy if a straight boy used to dress up as Ariel. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, I'd be very. It's like that line. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what we need. There's such like a parallel between, between like, like femininity and sexuality, and yes, I guess they are linked in some ways. But um, yeah, I just had enough of, enough of saying no. I'm, I'm not. I promise. And I was lucky enough to be surrounded by great people at uni who I didn't feel any fear in being honest with them. That's lovely. And you know, it's so funny you bring up this femininity and masculinity chat because I went and met my friend who's a DJ last week and he's gay. We've, we're just friends, but he's gay and he's very, you know, masculine, alpha male type. But there's me, the yeah. non-binary one, do you know what I mean? Like, and we're going up the road. Yeah. He meets, we run into this guy who was really shy. And I was like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Because I'd never met him before. And Nick says to him, oh, like, this is Georgie, blah, blah. And the guy walks away and he goes, oh, yeah, he's gay. And I kind of turned around and went, and I went, oh, that's lovely. But what does he actually do for a living? And he kind of went, oh, yeah. <laughs> why, why ask me that? And I was like, Tom, well, Nick, I don't, the first time I meet someone, go, what's their gender? What's their sexuality? I go, who are they? What's yes. their, what makes them interesting? And Exactly that. And he was like, oh, right, yeah, you're right, actually, sorry. I went, no, 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 like, it's fine. It's just that I'm not going to assume because he's masculine, he must be, like, straight. I just don't think like that anymore. It's so true. That is so true. I think you look at a feminine man and you think he is gay. But quite a lot of times you could look at a masculine person and think either either gay or straight. I feel like you, you it, there's such a... Um, that's a that's an interesting point that that you've made. Um, cool. Yeah, fascinating. So, you went to theatre school at such a young age, but I ended up realising on social yeah. media you also were in professional productions at a young age. I was. <laughs> so, I went to um, I went to Stagecoach, um, which for anyone who doesn't know is like a part time Saturday school kind of thing where you go and sing and act and dance for three hours every weekend and I, I was doing that and the principal of Stagecoach I think it was the principal told us about auditions for Mary Poppins um for the kids in Mary Poppins and I thought why not and I really it's my favorite Disney film um I'm obsessed with Mary Poppins <laughs> badly too much um and I went for an audition for that and I got that when I was nine and then it was in Mary Poppins where I found out that you could go to a stage school because other Jane and Michaels went to this school. And um, one of my closest friends uh, now, I'm, he was one of the other Michaels, and he told me about this school. And then we went to school together, and we were best friends, and now we're still, like, best friends. So very cute. Michael Banks is growing, growing old together. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so lovely. What's it, what was it like being on a professional stage at that age? Um, really, like, took it for granted, to be honest. Like, it was just fun. And it, it wasn't like, it's funny because as a kid, I did lots as a kid, and I was never nervous. I was never really scared because um, it was all just fun to me. And now I'm like, I walk into an audition room and I <laughs> shit myself with anxiety. And I just, like, wish I could channel that, like, carelessness um, or carefreeness that I had as a kid, but it was just fun. I was like, wow, this is cool. Um, <laughs> they've all come to see me. <laughs> uh, that is, <laughs> which is obviously not the case. That is such a Leo child thing. I am hearing that. I'm sorry. It is so Leo, isn't it? No. Here to see me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it is so Leo. I mean, there's a point in, like, the very start of Mary Poppins, right, is... Um, the Banks family are introduced by Bert and Bert goes a father, a mother, a daughter, a son and a spotlight comes on each one of them when he says a father, spotlight, mother, spotlight, daughter, spotlight and when it gets to son uh, when it gets, gets to son, which is me I always remember being like, find the light <laughs> a father, a mother, daughter, a son and I'd like snap my head snap my head around for that spotlight to ping and I'd be like, yes, Michael Banks is in town <laughs> <laughs> audience member ate that up <laughs> oh I bet they were yassing and finger clicking the house down boots 
That's absolutely incredible. And then I seen, correct me if I'm wrong, were you not in something that was Les Mis as a child as well? Am I making this up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was. I was Gavroche in Les Mis. Um, I had a habit of playing annoying Cockney children um, in musicals at a young age. <laughs> so I did the Artful Dodger in Oliver. And then after that, I did Gavroche in Les Mis, which are basically the same person. Um, just one of, one of them's French. Um, still Cockney for some reason. And uh, yeah, I did that. I did the 25th anniversary tour and then I did the 25th anniversary concert at the O2. That, like, is so... And then, um, yeah. then I did it again when I grew up. That is so interesting, by the way, because, see, I used to live with another Leo for four years. She'll be... She's really excited to listen to this, right? And she <laughs> loved, loved, like, loves Limez, right? She loves it. And she yeah. had concerts. So when I saw that, I was like, wait the now... Go, sorry, I was like, wait now, go like, check your DVD, blah, blah, and she did and went, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I was, the, I was the annoying one. What really made me laugh was, <laughs> I, did, like, I did a tweet when, it was on Unboxing Day, it was on telly, and I, I watched it for the lulls, and the bit where I come on, my dad filmed me watching it, and I go like, oh, annoying cockney children in musicals oh they do my head in or something like that and i posted it to twitter and then i've got people <laughs> replying being like god I'm, i agree with you i find them so irritating and i'm like oh, colin it's me it's me colin <laughs> um yeah <laughs> it's funnier is if you had like older women being like that's so horrible children like saying that about children and you're like me <laughs> i did have that i had that too <laughs> I had someone saying they work just as hard. Like, I would know I'm a stage mother or something like that. That's actually amazing. <laughs> so what was it like then, I guess, revisiting that show and being cast in that before the pandemic as an adult? That must have been such a, a fully rounded experience going from that to that. It, it was. And I, I just love like, any kind of full circle moment. I just, I found it satisfying. I'd always had this thing in my mind, like, I want to go back to a show that I did as a kid to, like, see it with adult eyes and see if it really is as wonderful as I remember. And, um, yeah, loved it. Um, very hard, like, lo loads of costume changes. You're never not taking your top off, I swear, in that show. Like, you're always just getting naked with a dresser and, <laughs> and then back on to be a soldier or a student or whatever. No, it's fun. It was great. And I went back to some venues that I did when I was a kid. So it was nice to sort of go back to those places and actually go out <laughs> to a bar. Be like, I'm an adult in Southampton now. <laughs> Southampton? All right, okay, brilliant. Nice. I've got friends at yeah, Southampton. it's all right. Oh, have you? Yeah. Southampton was cute. I got... Um, I got badly catfished by uh, my accommodation in Southampton. So there are sort of sore memories. But uh, yeah, so you book, you book your, basically, you have to all have to book your accommodation on your own. So this is my first ever like adult job and I was like very naive. But I saw this place advertised on this website that I thought looked perfectly legitimate and turn up and it's just a different house completely. <laughs> like the photos are not the same house. The room was horrific. It was not the same. But the owner was like, yes, welcome. Didn't even bat an eyelid. I was like, are you aware that you are not the same? And he's like, yes, yes, I know. But um, you're here now. <laughs> like, run. So then I, I ran away and had to find somewhere else to live. It was very stressful, Southampton. So That's a story you definitely didn't ask for. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. I start the whole point of this podcast is to get fun, interesting stories and get people, uh, let people get to know you. So that's great, not at all. Um, so what, this is probably maybe a bit of a hard one to touch on, but what was it like, you know, that last performance now, looking back at that before the pandemic happened, you know, did it go well? Do you, do you know, I cannot even remember what it was. I can't remember how the show went. I can't, I wish like, if we'd have known that this would be our last show, everyone would have memories. Everyone would be like, and everyone would make it special, wouldn't they? They'd, they'd make an active effort to sort of make it a special show. But we didn't know that it would be our last one. So we did our last one. And then we came back in the next day for warm up. And then we're told we were going home. So it was this sort of limbo of, 
And I wish I'd held on to those memories. I wish when, when they said you're going home, I wish I'd thought, what happened last night? So I remember this. What happened on my last show? Um, but I, I just can't, I can't remember what happened. I'm sure it was fine and lovely. What I do remember is everyone was ill. I'm pretty sure everyone <laughs> might have had COVID. Yeah, there were so many people off. It was quite chaotic. We had many a cut show where um, the swings were in full use. And yeah, it was it was stressful. And everyone was worried that people might have it or might not. So what I do remember, and I will never forget this, is my dresser called Catty, who was wonderful and lovely, just like sort of like waving goodbye to her and not knowing what each other's future was. And she was obviously employed by the theatre. Um, so I was just thinking, God, I hope... I hope she's okay. I hope Kathy's okay. And I still think about that to this day. A lot of time with your dresser. And yeah, I remember that very well. Very odd. That's such a shame. I understand what you mean. You know, it's it's been a difficult one that when I used to obviously DJ regularly in Edinburgh and do drag shows, like, you know, the amount of customers that I would never have had add me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter and Instagram, but then three months into the pandemic, they didn't contact me to say, they wanted to one check because I've got annoying health issues. That was all right. And I thought that's very sweet. But two, they were coming to my nights regularly that I didn't even, it sounds horrible to say this, but sometimes I wouldn't even know who their, what their names were because it was just, they'd get me a drink, I'd chat to them. So then I'm like, yeah, this is them. And then I've, I've gotten to know them properly because in yeah. of rehearsing a show and doing actual shows in general, you know, you don't get the chance to sit down and go, how are you doing today? You just don't get to do that. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's non-stop, isn't it? It's, it's a manic industry where you don't have any breathing space, really. You're constantly on the go doing shows all the time. So I think, like, I mean, there's no, there's no upside to this. But if you want to try and be a li little bit positive, that breathing space, I think, has given a lot of perspective as to how important it is. Um, which we all sort of knew, but never really appreciated. And I don't think we'll go a bloody day without realising how special it is when we're back. Totally, I know what you mean. And I'm, my biggest fear is that we'll go back and people will maintain this outlook for maybe a couple of weeks and then come three months in, no one gives a shit anymore because they're back. To yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's life, isn't it? People move on very quickly. Um, but I do think there's going to be a lot of trauma after this that people are going to have to sort of like work work through. I don't think it's going to be like, case, right, we're back to work now. Everything's normal again. Like the effects of this will stay for a long time. Yeah. And um, we'll all support each other through it. Yeah, you're totally right. I've actually been looking at doing a postgrad in sort of five, ten years as a therapist and just giving up the arts. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, it's, it's always there. Maybe it's an option. I can go, right, I lived in the pandemic. I was an artist. I will now help give back. <laughs> That's lovely. No, that is lovely, though, isn't it? But, um, yeah, funny. I think, I, I think before I'd ever consider that, I'd have to go back to therapy. <laughs> so. Yeah, totally. It's interesting yeah. performing, because you're obviously a performer like me and a lot of people that come on this podcast how have you found transferring? We've just mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you did this show last week. How have you found transferring and doing sort of performances for online? Um, it's kept me busy and I'm really, I'm really glad to sort of have that option there to put on shows on online. Um, you've got to get creative with it, but it's sort of, it's still sad. You know, it's still like, I don't want to be doing, <laughs> doing this. I don't want to be singing in my living room anymore. Um, but it's, it's the best we can do at the minute. And I'm very grateful to have, to have the opportunities to, to do it because I know so many people have them. Um, so it, it's been interesting. I mean, I did, a, I did a project in August where we all had to film on green screens remotely, but it was like edited together to look as though we were all in the same room. And oh. that was like <laughs> so, so hard. Um, it was just bizarre. We like, we, we set up our cameras, but we also had everyone on Zoom, like to the side so we could hear each other, but we had to act 
as though they were like to our left or to our right, which obviously sounds so basic. Me saying this out loud, it's like, well, obviously people do that in Hollywood all the time, but um, <laughs> not used to it. So yeah, it's been it's been bizarre. Yeah, it's so funny you talk about this. Good films are used to this, right? Just because. For me, you know, I've got a lot of friends who work in the Traverse and the Lyceum in Edinburgh. And yeah. they were asked, you know, why don't you do film performance? We'll send you cameras and we'll give you digital work. And they were like, I'm not trained on how to use a camera and do camera acting. I'm a live performer. This is not what you're understanding. And I empathised and went, yeah, like, you know, green screen stuff, especially in the drag community, has been a thing that... It, it's great that we're doing it, but when you factor in the editing time, putting all together, yeah. it, it just, it becomes such a chore rather than for fun. Completely, completely. I mean, I don't, don't want to like put a negative spin on, on, on my videos, but like they're hard, they're hard to do. Like the one I did with a, I did one with a green screen the other day and no one's asking me to do it. So I shouldn't be bloody complaining, but <laughs> it's like you watch like, the unedited version and it's me sitting in front of a green screen and like clothes pegs that are keeping it up fall off and <laughs> it's all it's, the blooper reels are insane and I'm just like dressed as Snow White storming over to my laptop to like stop the music and then stop the camera and then put up the green screen and I'm like I need an assistant and <laughs> it's just ridiculous uh, so yeah it's, it's hard I find it really <laughs> draining <laughs> sometimes but when I love editing them, though, I've learned. I love putting it together. I love thinking about what it's going to be. And I love actually filming it, I find really difficult and stressful. But then, like, once it's all filmed and then I can put it together and edit shit over it, I love that. So I've learned that about myself, um, that I like creating things rather than just performing them. Wow. So, <laughs> pros and cons. <laughs> that's amazing and like are your your parents obviously from the looks of your social media are your biggest supporters have they been happy to help be your assistants on these things i mean they are great mum is loving her newfound iconic status that she's getting on instagram <laughs> there was a period when mum would like scream if i ever recorded her or if i ever posted a photo of her she hated it and um but when i was at uni i started featuring her on snapchat <laughs> and my friends were like your mum's hilarious and then we had this like end of year award ceremony in the musical theatre society and she won best parent two years in a row and I think that sort of boosted her confidence <laughs> so since then she's been like yes I'd love to be involved in any capacity <laughs> so yeah mum mum's great and dad is amazing too dad's always been great dad's never had a choice really I'd throw a wig on dad when I was four I'd be like, you're stuck. You, you are going to play the Kathy Najimy to my Bette Midler. <laughs> I remember seeing this on Twitter. I fucking envied and loved this. Kathy Burke had replied to being like, I fancy your dad on one of your tweets. She did. She did. And <laughs> dad absolutely adored that because we are massive diehard Kevin and Perry fans. Oh, um, yeah, Kevin and Perry Go Large. I watched that when I was far too young. So my dad was like, I've got a great film for us to watch. And I was like seven. And I was like, Daddy, what is a virgin? And, um, <laughs> uh, but we always used to watch that film. And we love the bit where um, Kathy's dressed as Perry and like Kevin's just had a massive row with his parents. And Kathy just goes, uh, can I have a jam sandwich, please, Mrs. Patterson? <laughs> We always, whenever we want um, some lunch and we're out or something, we'll be like, shall we have a jam sandwich? Um, so when Kathy Burke replied to my dad, that was, that was, quite, <laughs> that was quite iconic. Like making pave way for when things are turned, you are making a name for yourself. I can see it happening, hon. Like, honestly, like people Aww. like Burke and Christina Bianco, like I've noticed, because every time I, I follow you, it just comes. Oh, I love Christina. It comes up with them like, reacting, and I'm like, oh my God, shit, you out. Like, just. Aww. I think she's amazing. I saw her in, um, I saw her at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2015, I think, and became a complete fan, fangirl since then. So when she started replying, seeing them, I was blown away. Yeah. Yeah. 
absolutely amazing. So what kind of stuff have you been kind of, I know it sounds like such a really double-edged sword question asking this during the pandemic, but what sort of stuff have you been doing to cope the last 10 months? Um, to cope, lots of baths. <laughs> um, in terms of like practical things, I think self-care is really hard to kind of get your head around because everyone says take care of yourself and look after yourself and stuff like that. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, for me, it's like really trivial things like having a bath, um, watching crap telly, if you fancy it, going on a tiny little walk. I've done things like that. Um, but also for someone who was notorious for hating like FaceTime, like this year has been such a challenge because all you can do is Zoom. All you can do is FaceTime your friends. But like before pre-pandemic, if someone was like FaceTime me, I'd be like, absolutely not. I just don't, I find it hard to do. Yeah. But actually having done a lot of it this year, that has really got me through. So I've learned that I don't mind FaceTime. I just don't like looking at myself on it. I have to like look at the other person <laughs> because I just, you pick apart yourself when you see yourself reflected for that long. See, it's funny because for me with that, with the performance for digital performances, that's the only part I've been really like, uh, about is because I've watched myself and started going, you could have done this here, you could have done this here, why not doing it? Whereas yes. in that live performance, it's like you've done it, you come off stage, yeah. goes, oh, you know, you did this part and it, did a, it was a bit off and I'd go, oh, really? Oh, yeah, I must have. But I'm saying like, I didn't remember it, so it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. That's so, it's so true. I was talking about this the other day with someone. They said that they're so glad they don't have to, if they were to do an audition now, they don't have to like go in the room and see the people and mm. have that anxiety, which, which I get. But for me, I cannot stand self-taping. I find it really hard to sort of, I, I, I would do take after take after take, um, which you don't get to do in the audition room. That's the, that's the key difference. You're, you're in and you have your chance and then you go. But on self-taping, we become the critic and we become the casting director, which I think is so dangerous, really, because they always say don't second guess what the casting director wants. And, but when, you self, when I'm self-taping, I'm looking at that and I'm like, they don't want that. No, they won't want that. They want this. They want that. And you pick it apart. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've struggled with that. But I'm fine with comedy. If I was to do, like, a sketch on Twitter, I ain't bothered about that because I, like, I don't care what I look like then. But when I'm like, I have to do like a serious monologue or something, oh, stress. Yeah, me and my friend Catriona, like she's the same that she does a lot of self-tapes for things like bank ads, like in Glasgow. And, and she had said that for me that the self-taping thing is that she's now had to just go film it. Did I do it all correctly? Done. Because she will sit and over yeah. pick apart everything. And sometimes what yeah. is she does is she gets me because she knows I'm not a heavy critic of these things that she sends it to me and goes, can you watch that? And I've watched it and went, that's all grand in terms of the technicality and what were you trying to get from it? And when she says what she's trying to get with, that came across, that's fine. So it's very, yeah, to get that going. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good idea, actually. It's like a dramaturg, but for self-tapes. Yeah. If you could, like, have someone to send it to and be, like, rather than just yourself, yeah. like that outsider eye, don't, don't you have a look at it, but just send it to someone. Yeah, that's a good tip. It's kind of like a nice agent. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> it really is. Um, so for, you know, younger people that are wanting to pursue this in the arts, what are the kind of bits of advice you would give them if they're kind of feeling a bit flat? And, you know, I've got a lot of younger followers who are studying drama, musical theatre, music, and they don't have, yeah. they don't um, want to keep going because it's all teach, taught online, so... Any wisdom you could give that be great. Oh gosh, I I can't imagine how hard it must be now for people that are, especially for people that are training or learning from home. Like I, I applaud anyone doing that because I'd find it so hard myself. Um, I think that the light is at the end of the tunnel. I think that we know that there is a vaccine out there. That's a very real thing <laughs> um, in terms of like practical reasons to keep your hopes up we have one now um where, whereas before it was all kind of like pinning our hopes on something but now we have a very real thing that we know that one day it's going to get back to normal and I think something to bear in mind is that um 
we're all in the same all in the same boat now uh like when this industry starts up again uh we're all going to be in the same audition rooms <laughs> uh going for the same things and i think people would just have a lot more i hope that people have a lot more respect for everyone in the industry uh, especially new grads i think that's so important um because they've gone through it and also in terms of like advice in general for the industry um someone asked me the someone asked me this the other day and everyone says like be yourself but i don't really know what that means but what i do know is what i'm definitely not and i feel like if you're ever going for a role um i know that i'm not fiero i know that i'm not blah 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 x y and z um so just in terms of being yourself don't pay attention to anyone who says this is how you should be doing things especially in mt there seems to be such a specific way of being a musical theatre performer and what i've learned this year is everything that i was told not to do has actually got me a lot of <laughs> praise which is taking the piss out of it <laughs> um something i was always scared to do i always found it very funny and i found a lot of comedy in in performing but um i remember i had a masterclass at drama school on social media management and what you definitely shouldn't do and that was always be very professional always be um post your headshots um prove your worth i was like well i think that's hilarious uh and i think people really relate to how hilarious it is <laughs> um so just know that you're in a very strange industry and people will love love you if you if you understand that and don't don't try and don't try and overcomplicate it in your head that's so lovely do you know i heard like at the end of the tunnel i couldn't help uh, help but think of starlight express <laughs> like starlight express rusty is on his way <laughs> yeah i can see that um, in season it's just honestly great to have you chat and chat to you but on this we actually asked guests particularly two different questions to season one because I didn't realize that the pandemic would last this long. <laughs> and one of the questions, right. One of the questions we ask is what did 2020 teach us and what are we grateful for in 2021? And I would love to hear what you think. Yeah. So, um, 2020 for me was on a personal level, like, uh, amazing for my, uh, Uh, identity in terms of we were all locked away we didn't have the fear of leaving our front door every day and i was able to come to terms with uh, my gender identity i'm non-binary um which is something i do not think i would have discovered had i been in a fast-paced musical touring from venue to venue um it had been something i had to hide away wear a, a lamer's costume every night be dressed up as a french student <laughs> and i would not have had that freedom um so it's it's taught me to really um be true to sort of sort of what you've always wanted to do in your heart and in 2021 i'm grateful um to have been accepted for that and then to go forward with that in the outside world when it reopens i think that's going to be quite a challenge because <laughs> it's all very well and good doing it in your bedroom but um yeah So, but I'm grateful that I've, I've had support with that. That's so amazing. And I don't know if you know this, but I came as non-binary in summer as well in 2020. So I actually... Yes. Totally relate. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Feels weird. No, truly. It's like, it's, it's true though. It's, um, it's hard. It's, it's really hard when, you, when you're able to say those words and mean them. <laughs> it's, it's, quite, uh, it's quite special. Yeah. Where can people follow you on social media? I mean, I think most people listening to this will actually already follow you, but if they don't, where can they follow you on social media? So I am robmadge02, no gaps, on Instagram, and I'm rob underscore madge underscore o2 on Twitter. One Because thing I played Gavroche at the O2, which, and I made my, my social media handles when I was 14, so I can never get over that. That's absolutely true. Before we ask the last gotcha. question, because we always have a last question to end the episode, what's your favourite performance to this day you've done so far? 
Oh, my favourite performance that I've ever done. Oh my God, hang on. <laughs> you know what? Um, the Disney parade in my hall. <laughs> because it was chaotic and it was campus tits and I was surrounded by a supportive family and uh, it's brought a lot of joy to other people. I think, yeah, I actually would say that's probably my favourite. I feel that the beautiful poetic part of that is that you were unapologetically yourself in it and it got you such a praise. Oh. I think that's the important message I would take from that as well. Oh, that is lovely. And it's funny because, like I say, outside of that house, I just wasn't. I was scared to be that person. So it's just amazing that 11 years later, hindsight, um, yeah, it's lovely that that little boy and any little boy or girl or any queer person out there that is that age, um, they will find their tribe and they will be accepted and loved one day. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, Rob, honestly, I'm getting emotional. It's so lovely having you on this episode. We round off every episode with giving the guests the chance to share a quote that inspires them, reflects who they are, even just yeah. long they've written. It would be great to hear your quote before we finish the interview. So mine is from Acorn Antiques, the musical. It's Mrs. Overall. She says, though your vision is shuttered, just get your crumpet buttered and the world will be a happier place. <laughs> and you can take buttering your crumpet to mean whatever sort of metaphor you like, but open your eyes to the colour and the beauty of the world and the world will be much happier in my opinion. Oh, Rob, you're absolutely incredible. So are you. Thank you for having me. I did find it quite interesting, in all honesty, that Rob and I had both came out as non-binary. And I actually did double check after the interview to make sure I got Rob's pronouns correct. Because, you know, during the interview, I'd referred to Rob as he and they. And at the end, Rob had said, you know, no, I go by he and they. And I said, oh, perfect. Because a lot of the time when you come out as non-binary, there seems to be this kind of conception that non-binary looks a certain way and it's not because the whole point of non-binary is that you don't adhere to sort of the gender norms of presenting what they would consider cis all the time you know that there's a line that you're not binary you feel like you're not kind of restricted to one specific gender so it was really helpful for me to just double check that because I would be the biggest hypocrite if I had literally misgendered somebody for it my podcast and Rob, again, very typical Leo, informed me straight away and was like, no, no, all good, don't worry. But I do find that very interesting. I didn't realise Rob had realised they were non-binary. And I myself had. And I love the surprising elements of interviews when there's things that I don't anticipate that guests will then tell me that we've even got in common as opposed to sort of guests that I've had in the past where we've got artwork in common, we've got CF in common, but we're very different personalities. These are the moments that I often savour and treasure because those things are what bind you in a way. And I really appreciate that. And hearing Rob talk about, you know, such a career for such a young age, I very much know that he's modest in the sense that I said he was famous and he didn't believe that himself. But... I reckon when things open, fame is coming. My mantra right now is when, not if. And I very much feel like that is going to be a case for a lot of other people that laid the groundwork during this pandemic. And Rob's content and performances turn it out. I'd like to think one day Rob and I can work on something somehow. And who knows, now that I'm deciding I want to be a drag pop star, maybe we could do a duet sometime. Maybe... I'll try and be on the West End. I can't really see it because I don't think I'd be very good. But, you know, I didn't think I could sing until literally six months ago. Another thing I should add that I didn't really get to mention to Rob either was that my parents showed me Kevin and Penny when I was around the same age Rob seen it. And I love Kathy Burke and Gimme, 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 um, although I don't really appreciate transphobes. But Kathy Burke... Oh, fantastic actor. And the fact that Kathy Burke replied to his tweet, I was so envious. 
But again, what a weird thing that we both had seen Kevin and Perry at such a young age because I won't lie to y'all, anyone that knows me knows that I'm a pure trance head. I love Clubland, Hacienda type music. I just bought Cream Adidas trainers this week. Um, you know, I miss the raves so much. So maybe uh, Rob can come up for a rave in Edinburgh in summer when, you know, things open in summer 2029. Thank you so much, Rob, for being such a fantastic guest. I hope some of the listeners that listen to this interview um, check Rob's stuff out if you don't already. Although I've got a feeling Rob's fan base are probably predominantly going to listen to this. I've been Jordy Delight. You can find me on Instagram at Jordy Delight Official and Jordy underscore Delight on Twitter. Tomorrow's guest is quite a sensitive topic. Myself and a writer who's getting a book published are discussing domestic abuse and the ways to recover from a domestic abuse relationship, as well as talking about general art, writing, what our plans are for the future and how writing can actually be a coping strategy for other things. And I think that's a very important conversation to have. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. I look forward to catching up with you all tomorrow. Until then, stay safe. And remember to breathe. Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories. A local podcast for local artists.